Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Okay, today on the show, we are going to briefly make some discussion comments about the book Empire of Pain. We're going to do some updates because it's been a while since we did a show. Um, And I have a new announcement about some upcoming shows. How's everybody been doing? Salvador is dead. I don't think he died of COVID, but he did die during the pandemic. There's now another person living in my house that may have not have been there whenever I originally did this show. I haven't done it in a while. I'm done with a program that has caused me and forced me not to do this show. Anyways, last night I almost committed a human rights abuse because of this. Can you hear that? This is a little squeak mouse toy, and it was causing me to stay awake. The person laying in bed with me wanted to hold it and clutch it in her arms, and I thought, I'm going to go to The Hague. There's going to be a trial. And then I would look at this person, and I said, oh, my God. My heart melted. Obviously, I couldn't commit a human rights abuse. Um, So that's one of the things that I've been dealing with, Uh, but things have been very good. Uh, Hope all is well with everybody. I've missed you. I've gotten tons of letters, emails, snail mail, a couple packages and everything, wondering where the show's been. I've been recording some music, got new equipment, so I'm going to just play this little electronic song that I wrote. been writing a bunch of stuff. And then we're going to get right into a brief discussion about the book Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. It's the secret history of the Sackler dynasty. So listen to this song, and then... hope you like that little ditty. So um, there will be a little announcement at the end of this talk about the Sackler book and about a new series that I'll be doing soon. So just stick around for that at the end. So Patrick Radden Keefe, and I want to call him O'Keefe because I think there's an artist, you know, uh, but he does an exceptional job of telling the story of Purdue Pharma. And Purdue Pharma is like the Sackler family company. Everyone's talking about, you know, oxycodone and the opioid epidemic. And this book really exposes a lot of how the company was formed. And he, you know, mentions, really dives into how, um, you know, this increased overdose deaths and addiction to opioids, although that's not his primary focus. It's about the Sackler family. And, but he, you know, he does focus on how they have oxycodone really skyrocketed their fortunes. But what I find more interesting and what doesn't get as much attention is the origins of this company. 
It's a private company. It's not traded on the stock exchange. There's no board of directors other than like the family. Now, part one of the book, which he calls book one, which is truly exceptional. It's not as sexy or as controversial, um, uh, but it reveals how our economic system kind of works in a way or how a fortune in large company can be created and sustained not so much by like an exceptional product or a needed product or even due to ingenuity or filling like a market demand, but by something else. And I'm going to call that something else, the lies, manipulation, luck, and exploiting human good intentions and the thirst and drive for wealth, really. That thirst and drive for wealth is what kind of it is. And Keith does a great job reporting and exposing this. It's in the origins of the Sackler family start with Arthur Sackler. He is truly a mastermind behind this, and he's a smart dude. He actually dies in 1987, so it's prior to Oxycodone, which is released in 1996. So it's interesting he spends a lot of time on this, and some people will be like, who cares? Oxycodone wasn't even around. Why are we talking about Arthur Sackler? There's this saying, which I love, and I don't know if it's Shakespeare said it. I don't know if The Rock said it or the Bible said it, but it's behind every fortune is a crime. Behind every fortune is a crime. And I think that's always true. Maybe not, but I do. And with the Sacklers, many are the crimes that built this company. If it wasn't opioids and it was just laxatives and antibiotics, which they did sell, there would still be some crimes and lies and manipulation and luck, etc. Uh, but given that Sackler Purdue, being a pharmaceutical company, pushed narcotics and some harm, and the addiction sin is kind of on them, and a lot of human misery... Uh, also Valium, by the way, the, the, he mentions that as an early drug. Um, that's also a component of this. So um, what, and also other drugs that they were just pushing that probably were unneeded. Anyways, I digress. So while Keefe doesn't come right flat out and tell you that the, pro, the profit motive is bad in pharmaceuticals or that it drove lucrative and unethical decision making, his reporting and the evidence he presents makes that case which makes, I think, this book really great. He doesn't seem to have an ideology pushing an agenda like I would. He's just like the best reporter, other than Kate Jamarisi. So Arthur Sackler really is a genius, but the kind in human history that only benefits himself and in, in his family, although that's debatable. And he does really little to assist in human progress. I mean, Arthur, total uh, selfish person. Now, while I share harsh criticism of most, if not all, you know, business-minded entrepreneurs like him, I'll begrudgingly admit um, that some privileged heads of companies like Steve Jobs, uh, the Eastman guy, the camera guy, you know, Ford, you know, their products have benefited humankind, um, uh, obviously by creating a fortune for themselves and by exploiting workers and stealing wealth from the rest of us by means of not acknowledging the contributions from other parts of society to help foster the creation of those products. You know, obviously that's all criminal. But uh, this isn't a popular economics workshop or an anti-capitalist show, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. But so the Sacklers, though, where do I, where am I going with this? Arthur Sackler didn't really, they didn't really create anything that, that is, uh, that we can look and say, oh, well, at least they made this. Um you know, with, it's not like cars and phones and cameras. His company was created by, not him, another company which he bought out, Frederick Purdue. Um, and 
he bought an ad agency, which he then took over, which I'll get into in a second. But if you think about like companies like Apple, you know, even there's a tangible product. And, you know, there's a, there's a great story, I guess, of Steve Jobs throwing a temper tantrum about the aesthetic quality of the color of the shade of white with the first iPhone. With Arthur Sackler, there was no care about what the products were. It, it didn't matter. It was just the profits. And it was really all the behind the scenes manipulating uh, I don't know if that's the right word, that you know, just trying to create wealth and opportunities for wealth and power and being in control. I'll illustrate this point in a minute, but what I love about Keefe is how he exposes this and it's it's like, you know, shows what a fraud Purdue and the Sacklers are. This is not to say that they're dumb, you know, Sackler's not, uh, Arthur's not dumb and lazy. I mean, he, he worked a ton. He created a bunch of different little companies. Um, and he had uh, several wives. He was very busy. I think three wives. Let's start with the ad agency. William Douglas, Douglas McAdams was a former newspaper guy from Illinois. He was uh, he quit journalism. He gets into regular advertising, uh, Mother's Oats to Van Camp's Beans, um, started selling ads for cod liver oil, which was manufactured by a pharmaceutical company called ER Squibb. McAdams had the idea, hey, Squibb might sell more cod liver oil if its product was marketed directly to doctors. So he placed an ad in a medical journal. It worked. Sales went up. And in the 30s, he decides to focus just on the pharmaceutical uh, sector. And in 1942, he hires Arthur Sackler. Sackler had a history of selling ads. He did like stuff with his school newspaper, and he was just a very slick salesman and marketer. Um, tireless, tireless worker. So McAdams hires him. He already has all this skill. He's also a physician, so he works at Creedsmore Psychiatric Center. And then Keith, so he's doing this part time. Keith writes that the marketing of drugs had a traditionally been a kind of boring business, pretty standard compared with. That's not how he write it. He wrote it. Ugh, I can't talk. Um, but compared with other types of consumer advertising, while ad execs devise snappy campaigns for cigarettes, cars, and cosmetics, historically, most prescription drugs had been generic with no brand names and little product different, differentiation. Ooh, that's a hard word. You know, drugs weren't sexy. How do you sell a pill? Arthur had a solution to this. He said, you know, you had to adopt seductive pizzazz. Pizzazz, pizzazz, you know, you know, catchy copy, splashy graphics, and market them directly to an influential constituency, and that is the prescribers, the doctors. So in selling new drugs, he devised campaigns that would appeal directly to clinicians, placing eye-catching ads in medical journals and distributing literature to doctors' offices. You know, seeing that physicians were more were most heavily influenced by their peers, he enlisted doctors to endorse the products. And as we will find out, he makes some of that stuff up. It was equivalent for physicians by putting, you know, like Mickey Mantle on a box of Wheaties. So Arthur would, you know, have drug companies cite scientific studies in their literature. Often these studies were underwritten by the companies themselves. So again, kind of like a lie or a manipulation type of deal. Um, and they would use to say, like, see, it's safe. You know, later on in the book, they talk about how like 1% of people get addicted. There's like one study that's pretty poor with oxycodone. 
So two years after Arthur starts working for McAdams, he's made company president of McAdams. And his first big hit is, uh, his first big hit was this drug teramycin. It's an antibiotic. It's not a game-changing drug. It's a Pfizer drug. He launched an unprecedented marketing blitz. He gets, as Keith calls them, shock troops in this campaign to like detailed young men, good suits. They would visit doctor's offices armed with promotional literature and talk about the values of a drug. Initially, there was like only eight people doing this. And in a year and a half, there's like 300. And then a couple years later, there's like 2,000 sales reps. He really revolutionized the whole field of uh, medical advertising. An avalanche of direct mail went to physicians and they were courted, you know, and so they get, they're susceptible to this. This works. Profits start to soar. And, you know, a professor, he cites in a book, says, you know what? I don't know if this is a good idea. This is, uh, this is, this might be a bad idea doing this. This is getting too entangled. Yeah, this professor says an unwholesome entanglement between the people who prescribe our medicines and the people who make and market them. But Arthur's like, no, 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 I'm just a facilitator. I'm a benevolent man who brings information. Doctors are unimpeachable. It's laughable, he asserts, to suggest a physician might be seduced by a glossy layout in a medical journal in the same manner a housewife might be swayed by a slick ad in a magazine. We're not just a bunch of dumb women. We're, we're doctors. They're, they're smart. They're not going to be swayed by this. This is just giving them information. Okay, obviously, well, women aren't dumb, first off. I don't want to get letters from, the, you know, complaining of that. But back in the day, you know, a lot of people thought that. Anyways, during this marketing and successful... Uh, campaign, uh, he becomes president. Well, he's president of McAdams. Then he just buys the company. The guy's kind of getting old. Then he becomes editor of a journal of clinical and experimental psychobiology. He launches a news service for physicians and becomes president of a medical radio and television institute. So you can see how it's really intertwined and it's all serving one purpose to, you know, increase profits, to have control over the messaging and really just direct uh, money to him. Um, you got to read the book to really delve into it more, but I, there's a couple more points I want to make. And one is he forms this secret alliance with his major competitor at this ad agency, this guy, L.W. Frolic, who's kind of an unfortunate, interesting character. Um, you should read the book to find out more about him. And basically nobody knew that they, they thought these two guys were enemies, but they secretly divvied up the pharmaceutical ad business. And this just flies again in the face of how the economic system is supposed to work. You know, you're supposed to have competition, you know, that fosters ingenuity, creativity, a better quality product. And no, that wasn't happening. And these guys kind of, along with Arthur's brother said, you know, when we all die, let's pass this business on to a charitable, charitable trust and do mankind a good thing. <laughs> Obviously, that doesn't happen. Um, so a point I want to make here is that this is all happening outside of kind of public input, the democratic process, or even at a basic level of consumer edu- you know, knowledge. You know, even if we're no longer citizens and we're consumers, you'd think that under this system, you'd want consumers to be informed. Well, they're not. They're being lied to about products. So he, one of his other big hits is pushing Valium. Um, during, I think this is the 50s, 
they start to say, hey, your kid's going off to college. It could be stressful. Start taking Valium. It's real safe. It's a great thing. And quickly we find out uh, that's not a good idea. It's interesting how that drug doesn't take off in terms of the addictive properties to it. And I suspect it has to do with opioids and sort of the pharmacokinetics and the receptors with opioids and how they are just a lot stronger. Anyways, the last point I want to make is about the FB, FDA. Uh, we're not talking about oxycodone. We're still back just, you know, in the 50s. And I'm going to read from the book here. Um, but, oh, that's not the book. Hold on. Oops. Got to get it over here. You know, there's a senator that goes after the Sackler family and um, his ad agency and, and Pfizer saying like, you know, there's they're pushing there's pushing these drugs through. There's not a bunch of oversight. Some people actually quit at the FDA because they feel like some of the studies are not true and they're being lied to. Um, and in one of the ads, this is what I think is so great how Keefe does this. He he points out that uh, blah, blah, blah. So one of the ads for this other antibiotic, you know, nothing exciting. There's doctors on the ad saying, you know, this is highly effective. Um, you know, more and more physicians find this drug to be very the first choice. You can stick with this. Um, and then, the, you know, clinical tests have been conducted and say it's great. So uh, an investigator with, I believe, the FDA goes and tries to f- talk to these doctors. Hey, tell me about this drug. Well, what did you really find? And there's uh, no response from these physicians. So he writes them. Th- he gets a returned to sender, unclaimed. His letters are unopened. He sends telegrams to be informed that no such addresses even exist. Finally, he tries calling telephone numbers on the business cards, but without success, the numbers were made up. So Pfizer had blasted this advertisement with its fake endorsements to physicians across the country. But it looks like, Keith says, you know, plausible that uh, there's eight doctors that are saying this is great. Um, And this was all produced by, you know, uh, Arthur's agency. So this is kind of like the, the lying aspect of it. And there's a scene in the book, and I'm going to end with this, where um, there's a senator that goes after Sackler. He kind of puts him on the stand, and he kind of, he basically talks his way out of it. And the senator gets kind of like, is the expression egg on his face? I don't know. But nothing ever happens to him. And so there's this point early on in history where they see that the Sackler family you know, has this integrated business where they're pushing meds and then selling meds. And it's almost at the point of collapsing, but he gets out of it and he gets away with it. And then years later, this company continues to exist. So please read this book. I would, I probably am going to talk about this again at some point, Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty. And we are going to do another series. Another series is coming up on this show. And that is we are going to delve into the civil rights movement. Coming up, hopefully in the next month, we are going to start reading, and I'm going to encourage you all, pick up the book, Parting the Waters by Taylor Branch. It's kind of the seminal book on Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. We will be starting this book, hopefully by December, a show will be out, maybe even around Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving, as I like to call it, since we took from everybody. Um, 
Taylor Branch, Parting the Waters, American the King Years. That show will be coming up soon. It's a 900-page tome. Is that the proper word? Anyways. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. We will be coming back soon. I might have a show in between just to rant and rave about some updates. And I know you're glad that I'm not in The Hague. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. I'm going to have you guys listen to this song called After Jumanji. It's a song I wrote over the summer. I watched the Jumanjis many times with my children. for listening to me bang on the guitar and make some noise there and hmm anything else I want to say and the answer is hope you're doing well and I'm looking forward to this winter recording more shows reading more about the civil rights movement and hearing more from you and keeping in contact all right Oh, and one more thing. I want to thank all my friends and family, especially everyone. Very blessed. Thank you all for your support. And thank you for listening.
Thanks for listening to the PRC Show. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC Show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC Show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producers Josh Ferris, all labors donated. Thanks for listening. Thank you.